Music, Mindfulness, and Madness podcast number 4,700, 3,063. Wow, that many. That many, huh? This is episode 28, episode 28 of season two. I was just about to... I was just about to eat an English muffin in everybody's ear. Sorry. An English muffin? You know, you can get those delivered now. Instacart. Get energy drinks, iced coffee, and more. Convenience store drinks in as fast as 30 minutes. Plus, free delivery on your first order. Minimum $10 requirement. Terms apply. And, and where do they go, Anu? Here. Our new toilet seat is here. Yeah. Our new, our new toilet. They go to www.musicmindfulnessmadness.com slash Instacart. And we'll have that URL available on our website and other areas shortly. That's that's right, kids. We got we got we got monetization now. I'll throw that in there later again too. <laughs> hey, uh, Anu, your volume is really low. Just so you okay. know. Okay. I don't know if you have a let's see here a knob switch. How about that? Is that better? Oh yeah. Is that too hot? Is that crispy? No. How about if I back it like about to there? How's that? Is that good? It's all good. I can hear you great. Okay. Yeah, I um, my my microphone is about this far away from my mouth hole, uh, just out of the camera frustum, and there's no compressor on it or anything like that. So there's pretty pretty good fall off. And my concern is if I crank the gain up too much, and then I start getting really excited, it's gonna. I can see it pegging on the input a little bit there. Yeah, I've it's done that to Michael a few times. I can tell. It's, it's, just by it's a worthy concern. I can tell by the waveform, like who's talking in the, because it doesn't label them. It just has mm-hmm. like numbers and stuff. And I can go, well, there's D and there's me. Because <laughs> mine is usually well, filled with like, you know, it's not as hot. And then Anu's is like very quiet and well spoken and like, in what, just is, what are you right trying to part. say, Michael? What are, you, what are you trying to say? What are you really trying to say? We are very dynamic. Uh, maybe I should get a standalone hardware compressor, which would help a little bit. But basically, I just want to make sure I'm not clipping because you can always turn it up, but undistorting it is is a challenge. Mm. No, it's, it's all good. Okay. I do some processing in the end, so. Of course you do, because if you need mastering, Lotus mastering. <laughs> yes. Yes. Lotus Mastering. We make things sound peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> peaceful. Well, no, I just I make things. The, I'll I'll just make sure to go to, to to take my doom metal album next elsewhere. I make the world sound a little sweeter. There's, there's peace in doom metal. I make the world sound a little sweeter one song at a time. That's what, there you go. That's a great tagline. Lotus Mastering, making the world sound a little sweeter <laughs> one song at a time. That's it. It's on my website. www.lotusmastering.com. That's my yep. slogan. Yes. Kids, do you need software development? You need D Madden. No. No, no, he no. You can type like nobody. No, business. please, no. No. <laughs> he speaks 27 different code languages. It's, it's funny. I have a story about that. Uh, a family member recently asked if I could, could build them a website. And I, I said no. No, no, no. Yeah, That's, you know, that is the right, Anu? You know. Because <laughs> what happens? Answer. What happens, Anu, if you say, yeah, okay, I'll do it? What happens? Uh, be, 
you you are now the IT guy for everybody, everyone in your family knows. And you will get questions ranging from um, internet's not working for me to um, how do I make my phone charge with these cables uh, to <laughs> you I basically, mean, basically anything up, that well, it's even worse than that if you build them a website, right? Because because now you're you're uh, the webmaster slash support yeah. in perpetuity. Right. No matter how yeah. good it is, no matter how good you do it, that's that's what you are. And and I'm at a place now where even if even if I my, my go to solution used to be well I I will do that, but here's how much it's going to cost you to set up and how much it's going to cost you every month. Oh, you've and done now that. I'm at a place where, oh yeah. Have you? Yeah. But the, now I'm at a place where it's like any amount of money and like nah, it's not worth it. Sorry. Yeah. I don't do that no more. Yeah. This last yeah. time it happened, I actually anyway. I I went around and asked a few people that I knew. Uh, did like you know uh, WordPress type site setup as as a side hustle, and I, I asked all of them, and they were like, no. So they even know, like they I mean, they they've learned their lesson really about doing that kind of our website. Yeah, I appreciate you doing that. I do. <laughs> I mean, it still needs a little bit of, a little bit of tweaking and whatnot, and I'm I'm doing a pretty good job of keeping it updated. So there's that. Yeah, I noticed that too. I I, cool. I saw that you you've got a whole blog page on there and blog. I mean, um, episodes page. You, like you did a bunch of stuff. It's nice. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to make it work. It's looking good. Just like yeah, this situation. That- I mean, for the record, this situation was not that. I just didn't have time. Well, uh, after so for the last two weeks, we've done some pretty dark, heavy things, right? Last week's episode was about trauma and panic, good times, which is what you want in your ear holes on a Sunday morning. And the week before that, we did a whole episode on on grief and talked about death and stuff. So uh, I, I think we thought it might be nice nice this week to do something a little bit lighter, uh, a, a little bit uh, easier to get into, and so. Uh, today we're talking about guilty pleasures, and uh, from my perspective, um, you know, when you start thinking about what is what is the idea behind a guilty pleasure, I'd say that generally the idea is that you like something that you shouldn't. And when I was a kid, uh, that mostly meant you shouldn't like it because it wasn't cool or hip or stylish. You know, like liking something that didn't fit your image or your status. Uh, educated, cultured people were not supposed to like lowbrow media, and vice versa. And I think that the idea that you shouldn't like something uncool seems kind of quaint in the 21st century. In our in our current moment, pretty much anything or ev- everything is cool, allowed, or encouraged, and you can unapologetically like just about anything, from weird fringe content to the most corporate mainstream productions, Un- unless the person who's identified with it is canceled and, and no longer acceptable. That's <laughs> it's usually a single individual that's a disqualifier. Ch- companies, churches, sidemen, and behind-the-scenes players sort of get a pass. You know? Yes. If one of the sound engineers or guitar players who'd played on Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll or Michael Jackson's Thriller was accused of inappropriate behavior with children, you'd probably still be allowed to listen to these things. Or, or the Glitter Band, by the way, which is which, after they split from Gary, did some really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, as I started to consider the idea of guilty pleasures, I realized that many of them can be ascribed to some kind of childhood experience, something formative or simple nostalgia. Maybe your parents listened to Baby I'm a Want You by Bread, and so you developed a liking or a soft spot for that. Maybe Stouffer's Frozen Foods remind you of your single-digit years or being home on a weekend while your parents were out at dinner. 
But I don't think you should feel guilty about liking something from your past, regardless of the circumstances. These experiences are part of who you are, and if current consensus is that it's unacceptable, so what? It's your past, it's your life. So in, in the couple of things I threw together, I've excluded uh, many of the things that factor directly into my own past from nostalgia or triggering memories, and I'm also excluding a lot of like straight 80s stuff, which I love for those reasons and for how it plugs into my uh, love of music in general. So. What 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 do you guys what do you guys think? Do you, you agree with my definition and framing here? I think that's good. Yeah, that's that was that was good. Thanks for doing that, Anu. I I I, can't, I did come in here. I started to think about a few things. So I think Michael came up with this 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 idea a long time a while ago, and it was it was um, we were thinking about it through the lens of just the songs. Um. But uh, yeah, to extend it outside of that is is, is also good. It, but um, when I started to think about the list in the front, you know, at the front of my head, when we first started talking about it, I had a few ideas. But then, as I came up with more, I, I think I think we originally talked about like trying to come up with five, which we probably won't get to. Um, five things. Um, I, I had a few at the front of my head, and then I thought, as I thought about more, I was like, no, those are not really guilty. And I had to dig a little bit to try to find things that I thought would be, like, guilty. Yeah, I, start, yeah, I think that there's an aspect of it that has to do with being at a certain age in your life. I think one of the yes. few benefits of getting older at a certain point, you're like, I don't care what people think. This is what I like. Well, the other problem is uh, is I'm a fucking old man. So my mind was was frequently going to uh, pop songs I listened to when I was a little kid, like in the, in the 60s, early 70s, you know. And I was trying to keep it current so that I didn't sound like a dated old man. Yeah. I, I struggle with this too. I struggle with the guilty part because I don't have any guilt about any of the stuff I'm probably going to talk about. But it would be something like, well, theoretically, you should be embarrassed. Like, you know, what do you? My, and mine, I just kind of I got stuck on music stuff, like what I listen to and go, oh, especially a lot of this sort of nostalgia tours and whatnot that have been coming up. And I'm like, man, I would sit through that all fucking day long. You know, just like whatever sort of combination of those bands and it depends on what it is but i made a short list of things that i remember just listening to constantly and rocking out to uh i couldn't really think beyond that i was really i my list got pretty long pretty fast and i just went this is probably enough to start i'm sure something will get sparked as we each talk about our guilty pleasures but mine are not so guilty pleasures but uh, for the sake of the podcast, I'm gonna I'm gonna feign guilt. Yeah, there so. was one in particular that 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 I thought of that wasn't necessarily guilty, but my peer group at the time, myself and and another member of the band I was in at the time, really liked this one song, but we were made to feel guilty about it by our peers. Oh yeah, it, it wasn't. You That's know what good. I mean? So it wasn't necessarily. A, like a guilty pleasure song, but everyone around us said, "What you like that song?" We're like, "We're like, fuck yeah, we like that song. It's a good song." And it's interesting how it shifted over time too. Some of these songs, like I'll, I'll just bring up uh, my first one. Well, there's some genres, and then there's some specific bands. So, uh, before, you know, so before you start, can uh, can I propose yeah, something? Yeah. Um, so I listened to a few podcasts that 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 are dedicated to doing this. Like this is their whole thing 
Uh, can we round robin? Like you, you do one, I do one, I do one, we just go around. How's that? That's fine. That seems to work out well. Do we need to draw straws? Do people still do draw straws? That might be a, a guilty pleasure of mine, drawing straws, if you can find straw. I think Michael can go first. We can just yeah, go on and Michael go. Michael D. On I was just okay. saying. That's all. One word. Sticks. Oh, no. Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, yes. no. No, Not no, no. Yes. Not all of it. I think the later it got, you know, where they got a little too kind of musical theater, I was like... All right, I'm not really sure. I feel kind of funny inside with this song that they're playing. I'm not really sure what's going on here. But like sticks, you know, like around... Um, so so we're saying that Mr. Roboto's out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely out. That was the, the end. Yeah, I kind of crossed but, over there. I still yeah, love this song. You, you go ahead, Michael, but I'm going to validate this 100%. Yeah, that would probably be a, a very specific guilt, pleasure song for me would be like Mr. Roboto but before that you know like Blue Collar Man and all that stuff off that that one particular record somehow I got a copy of all of that record and I was just like wow because it just rocked it was very much like heavy guitar driven and uh, guys who had you know vocal ranges that like should not have vocal ranges that high they were amazing you know and song craft and the production and everything that was going on at that time there was a lot of my list was, you know, in and around that time of like sticks. I'll get, I'll push it a little further, like REO Speedwagon. You know, I heard an REO Speedwagon yesterday, and I'm like, yeah, that's going on the list there. Can't fight oh, that. Oh my! You can't oh, fight that. Oh no! No no no! <laughs> Gary Richrath on the guitar there, rest in peace. Useless, useless trivia. My biological mother used to cut the singer's hair. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It, it wasn't uncommon for me to roll into her shop in Hermosa, and, and there he was sitting there getting his haircut I, with his wife. I have, I have a friend who uh, does their um, their guitars on the road when they go oh, yeah. on the road. Yeah. Really super nice guy. And really nice guys. Guy. Yeah. Nice, nice dude. I, I remember being a nice dude. Yeah, so the music stuff was pretty easy for me because I, I, that was an era where I grew up listening to that on FM radio in Southern California where it was like, you could not not hear sticks or like, you know, Southern rock stuff like 38 Special and like all those things. Southern rock would be another thing for me, just like all that sort of FM stuff. And I hear it now and I'm like, those productions are great. The guitar playing and I'm like, oh, here he goes. Here he goes. But those were that was kind of like my some of my first ideas for guilty pleasures for me. And um not so guilty pleasures. I mean, I can't really. I could hear that stuff now and just be like, "Please turn that up. Can you turn that up back there? Please, thanks." Is there is there an especially skeevy, super embarrassing stick song that that you would listen to now and just just play the shit out of and appreciate for all the reasons you just said? Um, I can't think. <laughs> I can't Sorry, think I'm of laughing because <laughs> I can't think of one off the top of my head. But we could slide into Journey, if we will. You know, Escape, the Escape record, which sold like 450 million trillion records. You know, mm -hmm. that record I still hear, and like I, I just like 
could not stop listening to that record when it came out. I think me and a lot of other people, but for some reason the journey kind of hits that note too. And like, you turn it on and I'm like, can you, excuse me, can you turn that up please? And people are like, who is that guy? Ask him to leave. But anyway, uh, you know, Faithfully by Journey, that one of those like big, gigantic ballad. Brian Adams, huge oof, fan. Oof, oof. Yeah. Oh, you got You got to save this stuff, Michael. I but look. The list is long, my friend. We have how long do we have? Four hours. I think we're good. We got as much time as you we need. We can always hours. just edit. edit to the you, best know, part. you know, you know that the podcast that I listen to that does this with film, like some of their episodes go for like three plus hours. This and is they'll be talk part about one like eight episodes. Yeah. Oh, we this this can be a recurring one for sure. Yeah. So anyway, that that's where I would start right there. Is I just throw down the gauntlet of like you know seventies AOR. Uh, music that was out there that all that stuff is just like I, I don't know feel really guilty about it I, I had to really I, I may have to dig some more as you guys are speaking and uh, find some guilt in there because I'm just like I don't care dude so do is is any sticks in your playlist now and, and is it like seriously like stuff that you will pull out and listen to like and, and you were talking about production do you ever listen to that stuff for reference and is there anything for reference you listen to? To the last question, no, because no, I don't really get any sticks-like material coming across my plate. But if I did, I have the reference material. I think um, I don't really have a regular playlist. That's the embarrassing thing for someone who's a music guy. You know, I just heard. Well, the, just in uh, your in your library. Do, I mean, do you do you do you have like? Oh, the yeah. library stuff you listen to? Massive. Mostly for reference, though. <clears throat> Occasionally okay. I'll pull something out, you know. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in here and I'll be like, yeah, sticks. Uh, they're an example of something I excluded because of nostalgia and childhood. One of the very first records that uh, my, my, um, my uh, uncle, uh, uncle-in-law, my, my mom's sister's husband, was a radio consultant, and he's actually one of the people that helped create the classic rock radio format, and he loved music. And when I was single-digit years old, they started buying me records. And one of the, I think the first two vinyl records that I got that that were rock music, uh, one of them was uh, Fleetwood Mac's Tusk, and the other was Cornerstone by Styx. Yes. And uh, that record blew my mind. Tusk was a, thing, I'm the, sorry, Tusk was a good album. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not no, saying No, no, but, uh, but, but at the these. time, it got a lot, it, they got a bunch of crap yeah. for it from, of from, you know, from everybody. You know, the other members of the band uh, against, going against Lindsey Buckingham included. I liked that album. I thought it was good. Yeah, so... Uh, Cornerstone, the vinyl, actually had this weird cover that like unfolded from the back like three different ways, and the inside was this metallic silver. There was a metallic silver um, inner cardboard sleeve, but the music was also great. These guys had a synthesizer. Uh, one of the things that I liked about the band is that they had more than one lead singer. So JT and uh, Tommy Shaw and uh, Dennis DeYoung all sang on different songs. 
uh, sang lead on different songs. They harmonized. They had um, some stuff that was really rocking and some, you know, some very pretty and successful ballads. And they're one of those bands that I look at and I'm like, look, it's not. It was, there was a period of time where it was really not fashionable to like them at all. They were sort of like not wacky enough to be prog, but too proggy to be cool. And they were just kind of in this weird spot. Um, but they wrote a pile of great songs. I mean, I was cracking D up because when, when he was asking what Michael was listening to, I was throwing song titles in the chat. And it's like, well, you can think of kind of cornier stuff like Come Sail Away or, or Babe. Um, you know, Babe, I think, was a number one or top ten hit. Which I'm is, trying to remember you know, that, how that song even show. goes. So, Babe, I'm leaving. Oh, See right. it in your So, head. you know, <laughs> for, I, I don't know if this was true with you guys, but for me... Come sail away and babe, slow dance staples at junior high dances. But sure. always got fucking played, always. Yeah, and I think I think even were... into my like freshman year of high school. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, they they were they, those were big songs at the time, but they also had like too much time on my hands and blue collar man and renegade. Um, you know, I mean. I don't. Their early stuff is a little too like '70s, and then from Kilroy was here, which was the one that had Mr. Roboto and basically killed their career on. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. so much, but there was a bunch of stuff on uh, Paradise Theater and and uh, Cornerstone. Cornerstone came out in 1980. That was uh, a big deal for me. I listened to that record a lot. I, I have these things. You were asking about playlists. I have an MP3 player that I take when I run or I work out, and it's got. A couple thousand songs on it, and these sticks tunes. A couple of these sticks tunes are on there. And when shut up, on my, shut up. I'm not. I'm not joking. If I'm on mile four of my six mile run, and all of a sudden I start hearing wah 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 and it's the beginning of uh, too much time on my hands, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm gearing up here. We're going a little faster now. It's it's not quite as effective as uh, uh, hearing Hell's Bells by ACDC, but it can be close. Okay. Amen. When when uh, when that song came, when too much time on my hands came out, I was in high school and I was I had a I had an old '64 um, VW Squareback that only had an AM radio in it, uh, and I didn't have the money to to put a proper stereo in it so I could get FM radio. Um, later on, I I used to just I had a little boombox that I would just stick it on the floorboard of the passenger seat, and that's how I listened to music. Uh, but most of the time, I just listen to AM radio, and there was there was an AM station that I listened to all the time. That I, I think I might have just found my fifth song because because uh, I love I love the station, and they they played too much time in my hands like five hundred times a day. That's that's how I remember that song. Yeah, the I I will say um, that there's a song that sticks out of my mind as soon as as my, Mr. Hatley said sticks. Uh, that I haven't listened to in a long time, but my memory of it is that the riff probably still holds up. It, the, the, the song's a little corny, but the riff is pretty fucking heavy. Uh, Miss America. All right. No guilt there. That that Ooh. opening riff to Miss America was. I, I just I, I remember not just kind of being ambivalent about sticks, like even in 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 junior high. And I heard that song for the first time. I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Do you have any pangs of guilt over that one? You're like, well, I probably shouldn't like that one. You have any of that? 
fear of you know judgment and I, I shouldn't I shouldn't like that one because <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't like it. Yeah. To, topically, it's it's a little silly. It's just silly. Yeah. <clears throat> I hear you. Yeah. That you know it was funny when the the guilty pleasure thing. I really thought about. It. I thought about like okay, music kind of came to my head first, and then I thought about movies a little bit, and then I thought about like food. Is there food you shouldn't be eating? That's like. Oh, you kind of give in and you're just like, oh, memories. And really, it just kept coming back to music for me. I don't know what that was about. And, uh, you know, those bands kind of came up and like, but also there was kind of no guilt about it. There's there's also um, that movie Heavy Metal, the animated sort of thing from Mm -hmm. Yonder. Oh, yeah. It was really like. That was a big midnight movie when I was a kid would play yeah, in the movie theaters all the time. I saw it in the theater many times, and I was just like, I thought about it the other day when we started talking about this, and I saw it maybe four or five years ago. It was on cable or something, and so I like clicked on it. I'm like, does this stand up? And I'm like, not really. It's pretty, you know, like stoner movie. You know, if you're stoned or drunk or something, you're just like, yeah, but that's about it, you know. It's a, that that sort of hand in hand with like uh, stoner guilt. There's no guilt when you're stoned. I think it's just everything's amazing. That's why I can't, I can't listen, I can't work on music if I'm stoned or play it or anything because I fall in love. I'm like, oh, this sounds amazing. For some reason, it does something to my listening. I couldn't do it in rehearsals with bands either I think I tried it once or twice and then I'd fall in love with the chorus and then I wouldn't stop playing the chorus and it was that was a problem <laughs> well so, yeah like, it was it was a different time right I mean I, I feel like midnight movies became a thing because because kids were looking for a way to get high and, and to get out of the house you know yeah, those experiences well you know like um Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is an amazing. I have Rocky zero. Horror, fucking great film. Uh, the harder they come, the harder they come was was another big one. Play the midnight movies all the time. THX eleven thirty eight, another one. I'm sure that some of it was also theater owners just basically being like, "Look, these places just sitting here not making money, yeah. and if I can get a bunch of stone kids in there, they'll buy a whole ton of candy and popcorn." <laughs> Absolutely, and, that's right. You know why not? Yeah. That, that, those were some pretty formative experiences. I wrote a, I basically wrote a song about that actually for the Luscious Two Thirty Five record. It was a song called "Midnight Driving," and when we were putting together this idea of this kind of '80s synthwave record, I got sent this groove, and I was thinking about what it was suggesting, and I was thinking about driving at night, and I'm like, well, what was I doing driving at night in the '80s? And I was like, oh, I was going to the to Midnight Madness. Yeah, you were. So I wrote this. This song and it's all like, um, do you want to go out midnight driving? Do you want to go to the midnight drive-in? We could see the wall. Heavy metals on. Come on, midnight driving. Yes, you know. And I just sort of rattled off. I was like, yeah, that's another one. The wall, totally. Wall. uh, uh, Yeah, uh, heavy metal. Oh yeah, another big one. Okay, what do you got, Anu? Give us one. All right. Well, so. It's funny because, you know, aside from my little intro there, I had similar things as, you know, Michael touched on some of these same things of like, well, I want to avoid childhood nostalgia. And I definitely have some songs, but I also have some other things in there too, because I started working on songs and I was just like, eh, but all right, here you go. I'll start with one song. 
Let's Go All the Way by Sly Fox mm. from 1985. Uh, this is about as definitively mid-80s as a pop song gets. It's a big hit from a one-hit wonder act, and it was a massive hit going to number seven in the USA. It did better than NXS, Sharday, ZZ Top, Tears for Fears, and many other reputable and respectable acts. It has a simple but slam and beat, almost deliberately caveman. It features a nice modal keyboard line that wouldn't be out of place on a Gary Newman record or several other 80s new wave bands. And it's got some wailing whammy bar metal guitar sounds in it. And the lyrics are surprising. Rather than being about sex, as the title might imply, they seem to be about how hard modern life is. About the lyrics, one of the writers said, For me, the song simply meant that whatever your goal, dream, or vision, you should go all the way to get it. In other words, don't let anything stop you from achieving, especially yourself. Those who saw the video saw it had kids destroying weapons, etc. I guess some want to relate it to sex, and it could be whatever you want it to be. Kind of like funk in general, ha ha ha. (laughs) But... The delivery of the vocal undercuts any message the lyrics might have. There is no outrage nor camp. It's just flat, simple delivery with a little bit of showbiz shine. That said, it works for me. The song keeps me engaged for its four minutes, and it will help me run a little longer or lift a little harder or walk a little faster. It is not a great song, but I love it. That's beautiful. So you guys can listen to a little bit of it if you're not familiar with it. Yeah, I'm totally uh, not familiar with that song. Not at all. It's it's one of those things, it's like one hit wonder band, you'll listen to it and you'll be like, whatever, I don't don't get it. And it was, you know, number seven, peaked at number seven in the U.S. Wow. I bet bet when you go and play it, you'll be like, oh, I heard this fucking song before. Oh, I'm sure I have. I'm sure I have. It just does not ring a bell. Okay. Here's a Let's see. Here, here, hold on a second. I'll, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a the briefest of tastes of it. Uh, under seven seconds, just under seven seconds. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, just like the band. Yep. Uh huh. Okay. Here you go. I totally don't remember that song. Do you remember that that song, Michael? Really? I don't. I don't remember it. I'll put the YouTube link in the chat for you. Yeah, do that. Yeah, I'll check it out. All right. How about you, D? Gated snare. So. Um, my for my first one, um, my first one, uh, I was again. I was trying to, to just try to find things as recent as I, as I possibly could, so as not to sound like too much of an old man. Um, I I figured out. So you know, I, I think I think like you guys, every once in a while, like a you know, I'll hear a few bars of a pop song on on a show or somewhere or my kids will be listening to it I'm like oh shit that's pretty good what is that and I found I figured out over time that a lot of the stuff that that my ears did that with was stuff that was written by Sia um and she's uh I got to see they did a thing on her like on 60 minutes a few years ago and uh, she's a pretty interesting person and she's been through a lot of shit um and once you once you you know, watched interviews with her or listened to her talk, you kind of understand, you know, 
how she's got this magical gift for um, writing annoyingly catchy pop songs. I mean, not annoyingly. Um, the one there's a, there's a couple that that I like. Uh, the one that uh, that sticks out of my mind is Diamonds, the the one that uh, Rihanna did. Um, I like that song. There's something. Um, I, I feel like like Rihanna. Rihanna, see, you know, she 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 has a very. She, she seems to be very comfortable in her own skin. She has a really 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 solid idea of, of how to present herself. I mean, she always has. Um, but there's something about the way she sings that's um, that's authentic in a way. It's just authentic to her in a way that just, it's, you know she's from. Um, the Caribbean, I think, and um, there's just something that that always feels uh, very authentic to to uh, who she is and where she's from, um, based on her background. And and Diamonds is like that to me. It's it's kind of a corny song, but something about the way she sings it and the way the way she sells it um, just makes it feel makes you feel good. It, it's it's uplifting in a way it, where you kind of forget about the fact that she's she's singing about diamonds in the sky, uh, whatever that means. So what's bad about it? Why shouldn't you like it? Because it's a, it's a yeah. it's a pop song that gets played everywhere. It's oh, I mean it's everywhere. It's fuck it's it's in commercials and shit. You know, so it's it's not something that I I should like. It's not something that I would probably admit to liking and. No, I would admit I would admit to liking it. I would admit to liking <laughs> it and and get crap for it in certain forums. Uh, but it's it's uh, and and it, I, you know Rihanna's not someone I listen to all the time. Uh, I just I every she just she's one of those people that every time every once in a while I I, I catch something she's done uh, after it's dropped and becomes popular. Uh, that that always. Always sounds pretty good. Like everything she does is, is I, I, everything she's done that that I've heard. I, I I've always liked, and she just seems to make like, like she seems to make a lot of good decisions artistically. Um, and diamonds is no exception. And, and that you know that there's there's some trademark things to to what Sia does that that just seem to be, uh, and and you know after I saw this thing on sixty minutes with her. You kind of you start to get it. Uh, she she's she does those those really soaring choruses, just really well. I, Michael was was saying something about. I remember Michael talking about these this class that you were going to, Michael, where where they were talking about certain things that, that are always good to do in a song, and Sia just seems to do all that stuff innately. Like she just, it, it, and when you watch her work. There's a dude she works with, and she just she just comes up with melodies in, in her head. Like she doesn't sit down at a piano. She has a friend that sits down at a piano with her, and she she will come. She'll meet up with a guy and already have what four or five ideas that you know that are completely melodically complete. And then and then it's just you know the piano the the guy playing the, 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 her partner her writing partner just kind of helps her form it into a song. But it's. Like she'll she'll wake up and meet up with the with with her partner and and come up with these fully formed ideas that are just incredible. So yeah, she's um, got such an amazing sounding voice too. It's really unique, that kind of raspiness to it too like at certain parts, and then you know the ability to like crystal clear, melodic notes. 
I, I don't see any guilt around Sia. She's no. a gem, I think. I have zero guilt. Okay. I do have a doozy. Although she, she did get sort of half canceled because of that uh, movie she did. Movie she did? Yeah, oh, yeah. Which one was that? Oh, oh, oh. Right. That. Her, her, her movie called Music. I don't remember that at all. It, it, it just happened. Uh, yeah. Oh, is that the thing that she did with, um, with Childish Gambino? With Don? Uh, I'm not sure who else was in it, but uh, it, it. Oh, it let's see. I'm thinking of Rihanna. Rihanna did something that was like a long form thing with. Uh, with Childish Gambino. At any rate. Yeah. See ya. Sure. R- writes a lot of hits. All right, Michael, you say you have a doozy? <laughs> well, we danced around that. I don't know what all that was about, but I'm intrigued now. That's what I love about this. All right, here's a doozy for you. Kenny Loggins. God, no, okay, now you have to go. You no, have to go now. <laughs> now. I'm gonna get real, Come on, D. I'm gonna get real, if you ask me, stop Michael, recording. I'm kicking He's you off. all right. I'm going to give Please you don't. one record. This Somehow I was given this don't, record. Don't, don't, no, no, no. No, no, no. You just, you just shut your old man trap there. You sit right down under your desk and pretend that you're going to learn something here. Yeah, so this one would definitely be a guilty pleasure because like, I loved this record up and down. Night Watch. Um, I don't know what it was. It's interesting. I'm looking at the credits on it and there's like, Almost none of the songs are his. It's fascinating. It's got a... He does a version of What a Fool Believes by Michael McDonald, right? He does a... Easy Driver. That song, second track, really, really great. And the performers, the band, I mean, they did so much cocaine. I mean, you can't even imagine. But they made these amazing records and they played amazing shows. I think my parents somehow took me to see him once and I was like, I had no idea what was going on except for like blown away. I was just like, wow. There's a couple guys with like, you know, white guys with like big giant froze. And then Kenny Loggins, like clearly, you know, uh, very excited by whatever he was doing up there. But anyway, yeah, so Kenny Loggins, you know, not all of them. I mean, you know, if you put on you know, uh, I'm all right. You know, no. uh, what's what's the no, other no, no. one? Danger Zone, Vox yeah. Humana. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. He had, I mean, yeah, he okay. had so he had so many hits, and didn't didn't Jim Pace have something to do with him, or did did some stuff with Loggins and Messina? I think so. I don't know what the history was, but I I know he had some connection to them. And who's Jim yeah. Pace? Like an AID guy. Yeah, he was one of the founders of AID, the guy who more or less hi- hired both me and Michael. Yeah. Uh, the foot Footloose, yes. right? Uh, he put something on A Star Is Born back in 1976. You guys, you guys are hurting uh, me right now. You're committing he, harm. He had we so just, many huge, massive hits, though. Like, This Is It. Oh, yeah. He Everybody. co-wrote What a Fool Believes, which is why he, uh, he, he did that. Did he? It's only got Michael. It's only got Mike McDonald in here. But anyway, so it says it says that he co-wrote it, and Loggins' version actually came out first. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So, 
there you go. That would be a guilty pleasure where like I would probably people would like give me shade for that as Oh, I would leave the room. I would go. If only you could leave this digital room. You could. I'm I'm going to go get a sandwich, Michael. You text me and let me know when you're done listening to this. All right. All right. But but here's here's the thing. It's like I look at I look back at this now and it's like Kenny Loggins. Okay, Hey, I didn't even I didn't even start up with uh, some of the other things. But here's a guy. It's like he had a long career. He had a bunch of big hits. He writes these songs that they're beyond earworms. They're like uh, ear bullets. Like they just go boom right through your head, and now they're stuck in there. You know what I mean? Like I would kill a kill to write songs that were that catchy. Never ever happened to me with that one. Never. Because here's the thing: for me, you know, when you know, when 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 myself and and the people around me discovered the punk rock thing, and we, we started we started. You know, we went whole hog into that that culture and that community. Um, at the time, that's a, th- those were some of the things that were out. And but the other, the bigger thing is, for me, Kenny Loggins, you know, is is forever going to be associated with Loggins and Messina and Dan Fogelberg, and that's shit that my parents liked. I didn't even like that shit before uh, before punk rock happened for me. I, I didn't like that stuff then. So. Anytime I heard that stuff, you know, when, when it was getting played on, when all those fucking uh, uh, Top Gun videos were playing on MTV 45 times a day, I would, I would turn the channel. I would leave the room. I just, I can't. I, I, that's because, and it's, it has as much to do with those songs as it does with what he, him and his, his former songwriting partner represent to me. It's like th- th- those, it, it's just, it always, it always felt to me like, Oh, that that guy my parents like figured out a way to to play a song for the kids. So I I, I don't know. I just never. And never apparently liked it. he did. Um, over and over and over it's, again. So yeah, inescapable. So so you so the short of it is, Michael, you win. That is the guiltiest pleasure I can I could possibly think of. You oh, win. I got more. Do, do you think less good. of Michael? Do you think less of Michael for him liking those things? Yes. Absolutely. You and your punk rock. You mean like Blink-182, that's your punk rock world, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get it started on punk rock stuff. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I was looking back going like, how did I end up in those? I had one. Okay, so I was also introduced to, and I have zero guilty pleasure about this, but this year's model by Elvis Costello. Oh, that's a great cassette. album. Shut oh, up. Hold on, hold on. You shut up. Ha- hold on. Half of that was on half a cassette, right? So I had that record on half a cassette. And on the other half was a, a Bee Gees record. I think my uncle gave me this. And I'm like, why? And I asked him, I said, well, first of all, the Elvis Costello shit was amazing. <laughs> Blew my mind. And then the other half, I was like, why did you give me that? Like, what? Do you listen to that? And he's like, because the Bee Gees no. are awesome. Awesome. No, That's why. No, he, no, he he didn't. His his was very mercenary. He said, you know, girls like that music. So I have that record. Oh, and I got went. It. Oh, and I went. Interesting. Okay. So wow. Yeah, that was very fascinating. But but I had that cassette forever, and then I had another one that had a 
a Santana record on one side. I forget. It was like really huge record, like early Santana. It was like, and it was really good. I mean, it was just a really well done record. And it was kind of post, you know, the, the more hippie stuff, you know, so it was a more, definitely more produced. And I can't remember the name of it. Um, Cause he kind of jumped the shark too with that Rob Thomas stuff. And I'm, and that was a huge hit too. That was number one massive stuff. And I'm like, that's a pretty damn good song. Hey, it's not my, more power, it's not my more dream, power to him. Yeah, more power to Kenny Loggins. Exactly. No, exactly. Carlos Santana for finding it. Not not Kenny Loggins. No, no, I no. It, I find it funny that you think the Bee Gees are all right, but that Kenny Loggins is not okay. I Isn't fucking love. I love the Bee Gees. Bee Gees are fucking awesome. Too, but, the f- but but there was a period of time where they were way 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 less cool than Kenny Loggins. <laughs> but but right. But that all happened because one DJ who got fired from his job because they changed the radio format decided basically decided to have a white power rally at a baseball game under the you're, under you're the guise gonna, of death, death to disco. You're going to tell and, me and that then, tragedy and then that, is a better song than Danger Zone. You're going to tell me absolutely. that Tragedy yes. is a better yes. song than, than absolutely. This Is It. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. Hey. Those guys wrote good songs. Even as I'm not kids, saying they, they, they wrote I good mean, songs. I started a joke, Masterpiece. Uh, they were artists, and then dis- they had this massive success with disco, and it destroyed them. Talk about it, like as is often the case. Deal with the devil. All right, uh, how about you, D? What you got for us? Can you top? Can you, can you top that? I, I I don't know if I can. So for my next one, <laughs> um, this was one that that came out pretty recently, and every time I heard it, it was like, God damn it, that song's really fucking good, and and I I can't get get it. it it's a, it's it's the, every bit the earworm that you described with with Kenny Loggins for me, Anu. Every time I fucking heard it, I was like, God damn it, this, I can't, this song is fucking really good, and I'm not supposed to like this goddamn song. But it's really fucking good. Um, what song? Wrecking Ball. Miley Cyrus. And I don't even like oh Miley my. Cyrus. I don't oh even my. like Miley Cyrus Jeez. as a person. I but can't I fucking love that song. You just I love said that song. That song. D. I like that here's, song. Too. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with that song. That that song like resonates too. with me because because if for all You're of right. its for all of its pop sheen. No, no. The the the, the thing that's kind of cool about it is is that she's kind of honoring the the, the country tra- tradition of having a dialogue between songs. Like like it's it's a throwback yeah. in a way. You know, it's it's a throwback under under the guise of of being a modern pop song. Um, you, you know, uh, back in the day, they had songs like, uh, like there was that thing that happened where Hank, Hank Williams wrote uh, uh, "Oh Honky Tonk Man" or whatever, and then and then I think Loretta Lynn or um, oh gosh, uh, yeah, I think it was Loretta Lynn that that wrote uh, "Honky Tonk Angel," which was like kind of a, a, a in response to to the honky. Yeah. She was like basically writing a song to to the to the protagonist of "Honky Tonk Man." It always, I, whether it's true or not, the, the, the way that I, my, the, the thing that, that resonated me with that song was, is, is it, it immediately made me think of an old knitter song uh, called the Call, of the, uh, Call of the Cannonball. The Call of the Cannonball kind of 
describes a guy that, that the kind of person that Miley might be talking to in that song, you know, like he's he's the cannonball guy that 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 uh, or I'm sorry, it's Call of the Wrecking Ball is the name of the newer song. I, I'm getting can I'm getting the old cannonball Wabash cannonball confused with Wrecking Ball. Um, it 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 feels like the song, whether it's true or not, feels like like it's in response to call of the wrecking ball by the knitters in a way like it's it immediately made me think of that 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 character in that that old knitter song and and i was trying to remember like if there was a, a more traditional country song uh involving wrecking ball and i think i just got it confused with with wabash cannonball i kept thinking like like george jones wrote something like that but he didn't um i actually had to do some digging and the only things that i found was like uh emmy lou harris uh covered a song by neil young that was called wrecking ball this isn't really that, so I guess it's just me. There's just something about that song that just works on so many levels. It, it, it works a, as a traditional like response thematically to, to you know maybe another song called Wrecking Ball or, or with Wrecking Ball in the name. And it's just a fucking great song. That chorus is just... It, it's, it's the kind of song that, that I wish I wrote. Like I hear it and go, damn, I wish I wrote that. I wish I fucking wrote that. You know? Yeah. Like, it, it leaves me with that feeling. I wish I, I have written uh, Footloose. I really do. I'd be okay with that all the way to the bank. <laughs> yeah, you oh, absolutely man. would. <laughs> I would I not. Think, I, don't, I don't think we'd be doing this podcast right now, actually. But <laughs> I'm, yeah, so I'm grateful that I didn't write that song, because, like, this is fun. This is fun. You know, it is interesting, like, what's what I consider cool and what you guys consider cool and like but it's sort of in there it's but it's it's an understood but it's not you know it's like we got like we each have our own contract with whatever is guilty pleasure or not and uh sometimes stuff comes up with my girlfriend and or both of us and I'll just be like really and or she'll be like wow okay and I'm like oh no you know like those shameful things but you know I think D really Amplified that for me today, and I appreciate that. What should be shameful? And what oh, shouldn't. amplified, amplified what I what I'd like that should should that I think is shameful, but it, you're saying it's not. I, I don't know if it is or not. That's the fun of this podcast. If I, I feel I feel shame that I like it. She's gonna uh, let me tell you this about Miley Cyrus. Her voice. It's, it's super powerful sometimes like way too powerful where I hear something I'm like you could like take it down a notch girl but she, her articulation she just like got all this energy and like uh, so much I mean she just like cannot escape what she's up to you know what I mean no. it's like it's those people who are obsessed and possessed with it and I'm just like I love that shit and you know she got all naked and got on a wrecking ball for the video. I, I don't even think I've seen the video, but I heard about it. Because, you know, people get naked. Yeah. That's so weird. How dare you? No, I've, I've like, seen it. And even even that didn't, didn't dissuade me from liking the song. Yeah, there's some um, songs that are just pretty amazing, you know. Um, okay, on that note, on that note, how about, like, uh, this Harry Styles kid? What are your thoughts you on You know, Harry? I was thinking about... It's funny. I, I was... You know, this morning I was trying to put I was trying to put a list together and um I was like I said, I was running out of, of things that 
I was trying to constrain myself to stuff recent and and just started digging around the pop charts and stuff and that and Harry Styles popped up and I was like dude do I have an opinion on Harry Styles and is is he a guilty pleasure I don't I mean I know that Watermelon Sugar was was like a big song and and I I I watched a little bit of his uh, performance of Lollapalooza this year uh it was a really good live show I I don't really know enough about him to have an opinion I I I do I do kind of appreciate that um the, these some of the things that he's done with his image and and it seems like he's he's kind of honoring uh, the the glam ancients with a lot of stuff and he's doing it right like he's he's doing the kinds of things that tell me oh like he's really thought about it and 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 it and he makes brand stylistic style decisions visually that that read to me like. If if Bowie was a young guy now, or Mark Bolan was a young guy now, what would he be doing? He'd probably be doing something like what Harry Styles is doing. So yeah, I appreciate I that. He, I don't. I just don't know enough about him about his music or anything. You know. Yeah, but I've been studying with a buddy of mine. We kind of pick. We look at the charts and we'll pick like you know a song off the top ten, and then we'll kind of pull it apart and look at the lyrics and look at the producers and the songwriters and his songs keep coming back up, and it's just really interesting to listen to them. Um. You know the um, not the same as it was the new song that's out now that's like huge. It just like you can't escape that song. And at first I'm like, all right, that's pretty good. It's catchy. It was and it's kind of like a. It almost sounds a little bit like aha a bit with the synthesizers and it's kind of upbeat. I haven't heard it. Yeah, but then if you listen to the arrangement, it just keeps on like building up and it was really just kind of fascinating. So if I can take off my sort of like. You know, I shouldn't like that hat and just like, you know, be curious about stuff. Then things change a lot. You know what I mean? Like next time I'm up in Portland, I'm going to bring a copy of that Kenny Loggins record and uh, perhaps another couple. And you and I, if you if you bring that, you can you can you can go stay at the hotel down the street. You can stay at that. Ho- you can you can go stay at the Jupiter and just just walk to Sizzle Pie and hang out there. Oh, so this, this is the other thing. It's like I, I'm trying to find things where I, I have a, a hard time finding redeeming qualities about it because there's a whole bunch of these things where it's like you, you could we could, for example, talk about this very narrow period of. OK, but so being, before you start, Anu, yeah. thoughts, thoughts on thoughts on Miley Cyrus, thoughts on Harry Styles. Okay, uh, Miley Cyrus is like a couple of other. My, my take on Miley Cyrus, I, I do not like her. Um, I can certainly appreciate the craft of the eight people that co-write her songs with her. She has a pretty good but not great voice. The part that bothers me about her is that, f- for me at least, every single thing she's done feels very calculated. Um, yeah, every single. Thing, oh yeah, all of it. Oh yeah, all totally. Hundred percent. Yes, I agree. Yes, she's and, trying really hard, really hard. Yeah, and and. You know, I can appreciate that. There's nothing wrong with selling out, etc. But it feels like commerce and not art to me, and that's ultimately the the gripe that I have with it. Like there, see, Michael, it is a guilty pleasure. So screw you. But but that's that's just my take, and and I am certainly uh, not one to beat up people who want to be big pop stars. It's just that, like for me, that's the thing that holds me back from liking her. I have seen. Oh her yeah, do, I I don't like her. Yeah. I don't like her. In, in, as an artist in general, for all those all the reasons you you just outlined, yeah, that, now, that's now that's, that's yeah. why that song makes me so angry because it's so fucking good. That, that said, I've seen her, uh, I've seen her live performances and stuff, and like 
she's she's got it. I just think that she is choosing to be an entertainer rather than an artist, and and that's yeah. the. As far as Harry Styles goes, it's hard for me to appreciate the artistry of someone who started off in a prefab boy band like that. Um, and I I respect his clothing choices, <laughs> perhaps more than his music. Um, but again, I look at that and I'm like, is that him? Or is that his people going, you should wear this, it'll get you media attention and blow up. And it's it's hard to tell with pop stars in the 21st it's, century. I mean, it, he's, well, certainly he's getting guidance for sure. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately but, he's the one that has to put the stuff on and keep it on. Yeah. I, I give him props. Continue to for, do that. I so. give him props for that. I saw him on Saturday Night Live, and my biggest issue is like I just don't think the songs are that good. They're yeah, okay. yeah, right. I don't like. I, I kept hearing about Watermelon Sugar, and and and, and I, I think I heard all the, the the chatter about it for a yeah. long time before I actually heard it. it was like, okay, uh, all yeah. right. It's like well, that's a what, that's that's, that's a song. Yeah, Bruno Mars is better than that, you know. I mean, Bruno Mars is better than that. All right. So so all that said, I guess it's my turn. So how about how about uh Oh, hold on. Let me let me get the right thing up here. Uh-oh. Uh, Uh-oh. Here it comes. Oh Unlike Let's Go All the Way, Teenage Dream what? by Katy Perry from oh. 2010. Oh. Unlike Let's Go All the Way, Teenage Dream is a great song. But where Let's Go All the Way is kind of weird and unusual, Teenage Dream is polished corporate perfection, focus grouped and marketed at its target demographic with laser guided precision. The song was written by Katy Perry, Bonnie McKee, Dr. Luke, Max Martin, and Benny Blanco. Katy Perry aside, the rest of these folks write massive hits all the time. They don't write interesting, unique, or lasting songs necessarily, but they write big, big hits, and they produce them. This song has all the uniqueness and character of a Disney movie. It is a soulless entertainment machine, polished to perfection with any weirdness or art ironed out, and yet... When I first heard it, it immediately grabbed me. It has guitars, and it isn't all synths and disco. It has a few interesting musical things going on, from unusual bass note choices to syncopation in the vocal line. And it's sort of simple, with a bunch of detailed production that elevates it. Katy Perry's auto-tuned vocals are totally adequate, and put a face on the song in the same way that Captain Crunch puts a face on breakfast cereal. It's Katy Perry. It went to number one in the USA. I shouldn't like this song. I don't like Katy Perry in general, but I love Teenage Dream. I connect with it, and I feel the teenage euphoria they are trying to describe. It makes me want to sing along, and if it comes on in my car, I do. You should be so ashamed of yourself right now. I love it. Fraught with shame, you. Yeah, she's, I also, I, you know, she's exactly what you described. And she's trying a little too hard too all the time, every day, all day long on her TV shows and all that stuff. Word. And I'm like, she's cute, funny, and like she wants to entertain and she's good at what she does. I can I can just give it over to her, but like I don't want to listen to it unless I'm doing a study on like pop songs because that that is a you know, it's a Max Martin like any one of those like pop writers where you're just like Jesus. Christ. Yeah, and it's it's all of them on that song. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all of those big dudes. 
Yeah. And Bonnie McKee. Like, I worked on a Bonnie McKee record when I was at Warner Brothers before she became that behemoth sort of hit songwriter with Katy Perry. And, like, that was a really good record, too. And I'm like, this is going to be great. And I met her, too. And she was very sweet. And she did a little performance in, the like, the lounge area when I was there. And it was just like, fuck, that was really good. That was really good. I shouldn't be saying this, but it was really damn good. And then she went on to do all that stuff with Katy Perry and continued to do that. And I'm just like, good for her, you know? She's just working her ass off as a songwriter. And I'm, I'm just like, as a songwriting person, like... You hope to aspire to like get those like earworms. I I think some people don't. Some people are like, that's a bunch of bullshit. I want mine to be totally anti that. And I'm like, all right, good luck to you. You know, like I get it. Like the, uh, you know, everything that like punk rock was at that time, which was like so great and so needed. It was the anti everything. They're just like fuck your world. Check this out, and they just like barrage you, just like boom. And so, you know, and everything changed after that. And then that started to get homogenized, you know, the Blink-182s and all that pop-punk stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, but it, it, isn't it that became just, the soundtrack for Forever 21. Yeah, it's just kind of like that's, and that's Hot what topic. happens. It gets like, you know, gobbled up, repackaged, and then it's yeah. like... The, the mainstream always wins. And always. you can look at, at even these artists we're talking about, Katy Perry. Uh, like I said, I... I don't particularly want to like that song, but I love it. And part of why I love it is that there are some things about it that are clearly referencing like new wave and uh, various aspects like that. All these other artists that we're talking about, Miley Cyrus and all these other folks, they are also cherry picking and grabbing stuff. Oh, totally. Of, you know, from, Absolutely. From cooler things. This is, this is something that I, I in, in my music history class in the 20th century, one of the things I, one of the themes that I come back to multiple times for the, for the class is that, it doesn't matter how weird or outside or um, transgressive something is, perhaps precisely because of how weird or transgressive it is, the mainstream will co-opt it. It mm-hmm. will get pulled in there. Yeah. Uh, when, when Stravinsky debuted, uh, debut performed The Rite of Spring, there were riots in the, in the audience because people thought he was trying to destroy music and it was so unheard of. And, uh, you know, Decades later, it's in Disney movies as the soundtrack for uh, for Disney movies. Yep, I love it. <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, there you go. That's that's my second one. Uh, Katy Perry, Teenage Dream. Uh, you know, 2010. I I can't even remember where I heard that song, but it was one of those things where I was like, God damn it, that's a really good song. Damn. And, okay. And it, just, it just locked in. Okay. Know, got in there. All right, Michael, you're up. What do you got, Michael? Oh boy. Can't whatever you've got can't be any worse than Kenny Loggins. Can't be. I'm, go- I'm going deep. So how about like fusion guitar players, like Alan Hallsworth? Oh, you're hurting me. Pat Metheny. Ow. Al Demiola. Oh yeah, Al. Sweet Al Demiola. You know that kind of world. There I was like a- that. I like that song that Bowie did with Pat Metheny. That he did for that movie, this this is not America. This, that was good. This is not America. Yeah. No. <laughs> this is not la 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 la. Yeah, the um, I saw Pat Metheny a couple times, and like I don't know what it was. I was just like, this is pretty good. And then all of a sudden, it was like, you're in that Metheny mode, and he just like he's got his own thing, his own thumbprint on that particular world, and like. 
and I have some of that stuff in my collection too, just as like reference for like, this is what that stuff's supposed to sound like. There's there was one record with uh, Al, uh, who not Al Demiola, uh, Alan Hallsworth, and I wish I still had a copy of this. Alan Hallsworth, um, what's his name? Eric Jobson, the the uh, uh, violin player who was in uh, Roxy Music for a while, as I understand it, and then I want to say. Carl Palmer is the drummer live in Japan and I loved that record and I don't you know it's like one of those things where you're like I'm probably not supposed to tell anybody about this no you really really need to go you you just need to go now <laughs> I might have another layer down into the guilty 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 <laughs> anyway yeah that kind of stuff was like <clears throat> growing up it was like well you know I was a guitar guy and it was just like <clears throat> there was the Van Halens and there was all that stuff and then there was every sort of like I could go deep into the the Los Angeles hair metal scene and like all the records that got put out that no one ever heard of I mean if you want me to go Striper right now we can go there but I'm going to stick with my fusion and maybe we'll circle back around to the yellow and black attack <clears throat> and, uh, and the show I saw them at at Oscars Cornhuskers in the Inland Empire. Yeah. Striper? You saw, you're you talking about Striper? Yeah, I switched from Alan Hallsworth to Striper. How do you like oh, that? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, those those guys were based in Anaheim when I was living in Anaheim. You, you couldn't escape them. And they used to they used to rehearse at a rehearsal space that, that uh, the satellites used for a bit, I remember. So, yeah, I got, yeah they were everywhere. They would they would pelt you with these little uh, tiny Bibles. They were throwing like these little tiny yep. Bibles out. The pew. Oh yes. You're like oh, the Lord, the Spirit's in me now. Yes. And uh, I, you know it was that musiciany guitar player stuff and like sideways drummer. But you know, I, but I don't I don't want to digress too hard from Alan Hallsworth and all the fusion guys because there were so <laughs> many of those guys. We need to go back. We need to revisit that. And oh, it's uh, my mind is no, no, a little we bit. Don't. Alan Hallsworth, for some reason, really jumps out at me because he was one of those guys where it's like the musician's musician for like that particular world, for guitar players, for guitar players of that era, like 80s fusion stuff. And like, but I was sort of sampling everything at that time, too. But I was also, you know, this was sort of my pre-metal years. This was all like hard rock stuff pre, you know, Van Hagar, pre there, you know, don't even get me started on the Hagar years <clears throat> but like all that 70s stuff where you're just like I, I was you know it was the water I was swimming in but you know the fusion stuff probably not as acceptable to most of my guitar player buddies I mean you can were... see the reaction that D is having it's <laughs> still not acceptable to a lot of people um, no 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 you know these these guys are it's it's funny because it's like virtuoso music um but it is the sort of thing that, like, it's not pure enough jazz for the jazz heads, and it's not uh, caveman enough for the rock guys. And yet, if you go and look at, you know, uh, you read you read your guitar magazines, you go talk to, like, the best guitar players, and they're all, like, they will rattle off all these guys, and they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, sure, so-and-so is great, whatever, but the guys that really blew, my, blew me away, it's like, you know, Danny Gatton, Al Demiola, Alan Holtzworth, Eddie Van Halen talked about yeah. Alan Holdsworth all the time. It's like that guy knows how to play guitar. 
Yeah, and he I'll had just I'll just stick to my John McGeoch and and Keith Levine. Thank you very much. You're so fucking cool, D. I don't know how you do it. This is why we're friends. You're so fucking evolved. It's amazing. No, the, no. The, the the fact that Anu says that he said that, and I I felt like I felt like twenty five percent of a guitar player because I'm not. I don't know any of that stuff. No, but th- that's so, the thing. It's like it I'm actually made me feel that, like the, the super technical guys all, all have these same things in common. And even yeah. if you're reading about the metaliest of the metalheads, the super shred, like good musicians listen to music that is not just in their idiom or the style that they operate in. And it's it can be surprising until you become a musician yourself, and you're like, well, of course. Like you have big ears, you listen to a bunch of different things, and if you're really into the guitar listening to the the guys who shred like Ingve Malmsteen or whatever it's like okay that's fine but there's people who are like orders of magnitude beyond that in terms of skill in in other genres yeah and i think that was just kind of a the guilty pleasure stuff i mean you know i was a huge fan of the police too and they were the biggest thing in the fucking world until like 1984 or 5 and beyond, there's still like, you know, airplay. You hear the songs and you're like, God, I wish I wrote that song. And the playing and the production and everything that went into it, I'm just like, I have zero guilt about that at all, you know? And, and no, yet, I wouldn't. people would used to give me grief about that. So they're like, you listening to that? And I'm like, yeah, I am. I mean, did you hear the guitar playing? Like Andy, of course, Andy Summers, a jazz guy turned rock guy he was the biggest thing in england you know way back when before he was in the police you know him jeff beck and there was one other guitar player that were like considered the best in england and i was like i didn't know that i was just like oh way back when when he was like a rock guy because he's just got these skills and then the police hit and then of course all of them just kind of like surrendered to that fucking avalanche of success really brilliant songwriting and experimentation and like still people want to hate on that stuff and I'm like all the way to the yeah. bank so like, Stuart really Copeland collaboration you're, with, uh, you're not even Fett talking about too. Stuart Copeland massively inf- influential drummer Stuart Copeland I mean like punk drummers oh, yeah. even now cite him as a, as a, as a major influence you yeah, know he was a beat he, he, was, a beat. he, was, he was he was incredible is still is you know so anyway, that's he what did I some exactly. jazzy stuff too. Yeah, Cur- curved air. Mm-hmm. Cur- right, curved well, D, air. D, how about yeah, curved air? How about you, D? Can you can you top? Uh, can I can't. I can't. My, Michael is winning by by so far right now. I, I'm actually waiting. There, there's there's a song that Michael used to talk tell me about all the time that he used as a as a reference for mastering. That I'm waiting for him to, to call out again. Um, hopefully he will. I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about. It depends on. It's genre. a it's a very current. It's pop. It's it's a pop singer. It's a pop singer, and you always used to tell me like you, you how how much you loved uh, the mastering work on this one song. Well, there's, you know, uh, Lady Gaga. There is a. Yes. Uh, the mastering on this record, I was just like, first of all, the mixing on it is fantastic. And there's like this big hole in the middle of it that her vocal comes through. And it's just like, everything is kind of magic. And it is one of the loudest fucking records I've ever heard. 
and it sounds perfect. I mean, it's just really like great in, in spite of like because sometimes loudness can be like okay i get it buddy but it's just kind of a perfect balance of all that and um yeah that was probably the one you were thinking of because like I, I remember when someone had asked me about that record and i and i went hmm i haven't actually like sat down and listened to it listened to it <clears throat> and so i got a copy of it and i was like wow okay and i've seen lady gaga live uh way before she really blew up and i was like holy shit i mean the videos were like okay you know she's got something going on and i'm interested and uh my friends got tickets and they said we're going to see her and i'm like all right whatever i wouldn't have chosen to do it on my own but uh she played at the wiltern and uh and it was just a mind-bending show she had some she it was a very scaled down show as before she was huge but she had some dancers she did this like four song thing in the middle playing a, a lucite tack piano filled with all these like you know plastic bubbles and stuff and she was flawless and she was solo just turned the piano and i'm like all right hats off hats off to you gaga it's amazing you know so you know she's one of those i could say that you know guilty pleasure or whatever but like she's astounding and still even as an actor and all that stuff i'm like she's got my vote we're having yeah, and, and unlike some of the other pop tarts that we've been talking about she's weird she's an artist she takes yeah. risks she writes her own material um you know i don't love everything she's done but i love that she is doing it a hundred percent and she's another one of these people who can looks like feels like she can write a hit song at the drop of a hat yeah yeah i can appreciate her for i mean it, it's 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 uh, certainly commendable that she made that hard left turn and started working with um tony what's his fuck the crooner tony bennett tony bennett um she's done some made some interesting choices and and um i can appreciate her as as a as an artist for for many of the reasons michael said but i can't listen to her music i can't i can't i i I haven't been able to find anything that i can listen to that she's done can't There's this whole, you know, I don't know if I can blame her for this, but um, she can certainly be blamed for for propagating it. That there's a collective I'm sure you guys are aware of called the Swedish House Mafia, and the Swedish House Mafia have been responsible for probably sixty to seventy percent of the the stuff that gets played on the radio or on that shows up on the pop charts for the last 10 plus years and I, I've, I've I watched a little documentary about those guys and and I I actually kind of like them a little bit as people after I watched the documentary really disliked them up to that point and just disliked what they what they've been doing um, that there's this whole strain of stuff that's even happening in, in pop music to this day, and it's 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 just that 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 super heavy like house influence, just just distilling, just taking everything that was that was cool about house to me as you know in the early '90s, and and shining it up and just watering it down and making it into something that can be played on the pop charts. And it seems like Lady Gaga does a lot of that. And every time like I hear a single uh, come out from her, it just sounds like a like a bad acid house song. And there's a few people that Katy Perry's another one that that does stuff like this. Um, 
<clears throat> and, and I, I feel like Swedish House Mafia can be blamed for most of it. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's, it always makes me grind my teeth every time I, I, I hear something like that <laughs> come across my ears. It just makes me insane. Man, you need a big hug, D. I miss you. Just need a <laughs> big fucking hug. Something's wrong. Yeah, you're awesome. It's you know it's funny listening to music. I I was just listening to uh, there's a new Beyonce song out, and I was listening to um, as kind of a study because we're I just like like to sort of pick out those things and go like what, what makes a hit these days for the kids and pulled that one down and I was really surprised because it was very much kind of what you described house music but there was all this other layers of stuff too I mean the production is really interesting on it but if you can't get over that initial sort of stylistic sort of imprint from the get-go which is most of the song you probably miss all that you know you probably just tune it out and go whatever yeah another one of those and I and it took me like you know two three four listens and then I'm like I'm hearing all this like you know gospel choir stuff toward the end that I'm like oh wow I probably would have just glossed right over that had I not listened through but uh you know so you know I I think most people aren't that curious you know as as musicians I think the three of us are and as production geeks and like how did they do that and like I may not like the song but I hear some interesting stuff in there I'm like wow I would not have chosen to do it like that, but that's pretty damn cool. Note to self. Because I just, I'm kind of a sponge. I think that was the thing about all the music I was listening to growing up, to all the sort of unmentionables, you know, was just like, I was hungry for all of it. Just like you feed it to me, and then I'm just like, I'll, I'll do the editing later of like what's appropriate and what's not. And I didn't know what was good or not. I didn't have a whole bunch of friends that were close that were like, here's the 10 records you need to listen to. I think I had a uh, an experience with there was a this guy who uh, was watching me one day. It was like a babysitter situation or whatever, and he just bought all these new records. And he's like, "Hey, I want to listen to these records," and I'm like, "Okay, whatever, dude. I'm a kid, you know." And he put on uh, uh, Blondie, Parallel Lines, and then he put on all this other stuff, and I'm like, "What is this? What is this stuff?" And it was so good, and they were all like new new records at the time, late '70s. And I was like, and the Blondie I remembered from the get go. So I'm like, what the fuck is this? Because I'm like, so fucking good. That I album just went, was so fucking good. I was just totally moved, and like, I don't even know that much about it in terms of like who produced that stuff and like songwriting. And I know that I heard the production was really meticulous. He like worked him in pre-production. Yeah, Michael Chapman, who 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 worked on a bunch of the old glam oh, stuff. Chapman, he was he no was a big glam producer. Like he worked yeah. he worked uh, he did all the Susie Quattro stuff. He did yeah. uh, shit. I think he did some Slade stuff. He like, he was he. That guy was a fucking baller. By the time they they tapped him to to, to work on that album. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, so it's like that's all that, why it's so good. All that stuff I absorbed growing up, I like. I can't really feel guilty about it because that's just what was for me. That was the water I was swimming in, and I was particularly lucky, I think, to be in Southern California at a particular time. You know, to have that kind of radio station stuff. This was like, I was when you know here when, you know, K West turned into K Rock, and I, that was very new for me too. Because I was, I'm always kind of behind the curve, is what I discovered about myself, and like, I'm okay with that. I come to stuff late. 
I crawl in through the you know the bathroom window of punk rock and like I I was not a punk rocker until I heard this stuff and I'm like holy shit this stuff is amazing and like I and I wasn't part of that scene but like now that I know all those people somehow people assume and I'm like I wasn't but I like it's it's got that energy and that sort of like I love that it was such a huge reaction to what was going on politically you know socioeconomic stuff that was going on and and still is to a degree for especially for the old crusty ones who were just like you know no still fuck you <laughs> you know like you're still not getting it right there needs to be a pushback but in terms of like guilty pleasures man there's probably more but that's that's probably enough i mean i i dug my my guilt grave here and i've started to put up pictures on the wall cuz i like it down here it's pretty yeah. cool Maybe a little. It, well, you well, yeah. You you definitely carpet. win, as far as I'm a little, concerned. A little shame you carpet win. on the floor. I'm like, hey, can you guys give me a burrito? You should be so ashamed of yourself right now. Um. So yeah, I you know the the the, the rave thing. You know, much like what you said about about um, early music, Michael. I I I had I was fortunate enough to to have friends. Uh, who were involved in the goth scene at the time? Who um, who got really in, into the into the into in the in the rave culture in the house scene and, and ended up being some of the early guys, um, people you and I know, Michael, that were among the the people breaking into warehouses in downtown LA um, to uh, to have raves, to have secret raves, and so I actually. I, um, I ended up working a couple of them. I worked the bar. Me and 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 a few friends worked worked the bar at a few of them. And Ex Voto actually played in one out out, out in the desert. Um, played mm-hmm. one of the apocalypse apocalypse raves out in the desert. So I got I got to have in I, I got to have an experience with that culture in L.A. as well as that that, that culture that as it blew it was blowing up in L.A. So. You know, it's it's the same gripe that I have about industrial. It's stuff you and I have talked about before, Michael. It's I I, I don't like what industrials become either. I just not re- I don't like how it's evolved. Um, and any I, I'm okay with with people that that will do modern nonsense that influence if if, if it if it feels authentic if it feels like it's it's something that's honoring the ancients in a particular way you know like if i hear something and go oh that's like the old rotterdam stuff or that's like the old newbie stuff that came out of germany that's really cool but that doesn't happen with a lot of this stuff and that's that's the thing that really kind of bothers me is it is it's just it just that that whole edm house thing that gets done now just doesn't it it just it just Always, it often feels like the lowest common denominator, and and doesn't really feel like it honors the agents the way I would hope that it would. But that's that's pop that's music. Name. That's what it does. It's like I said, the mainstream wins. It, it takes. But that's the not stuff always that true. Blondie did the same thing. They were accused of the same thing of watering down punk rock. Uh, and you know, and, and, too. And, yeah, and, yeah, and 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 making it making it pop. And and my attitude is like, so what? That's what that's what popular art does. Yeah, you know. It does. It doesn't mean that those other house records are gone, uh, and and you know from the perspective of mainstream people, it's like you can totally see why they rejected some aspects of it. It's like people want pop songs with faces and personality and all that instrumental music. 
that had very similar things. It's like it needed that personality to, to pull it forward. And you know, I, people I get that. Talk- I mean, Heart Heart of Glass was was a disco song, and they got a lot of crap about making a disco song. But that but look at what that song's done over time. It's it's withstood the test of time because it was just a good fucking song. Yeah. Um, and and because it was a disco song, like that's part of why it was a success. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's the purest stuff that comes in. I mean, I suffer from that too, where things that I'm like, oh, no, no, no. What do, no, what did they just do? I mean, you know, I could maybe pull up the carpet and dig a little deeper if you want. And we could get into some metal stuff, but I don't think it would serve our audience all that well. Well, but well before I, mean, I got, I got, let me, let me do this one. I got, I got, I got, I do have my next one. I challenge um, you. So, this is one, you know, I said at the beginning of the episode that, you know, I had a few that were like, I looked at them and thought, well, that, that isn't really a guilty pleasure. But when it came out, I remember liking it. I remember getting a lot of crap from my peer group for liking it. Myself and, 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 and uh, my other friend who, who liked the song. So it's 1989. I'm playing guitar in Exvoto. Um, and and uh, Exvoto's doing pretty well locally. We playing around a lot. Um, pretty, we're a pretty well known goth band at this point. And a song by a guy named Michael Penn comes out, Sean Penn's older brother, and the song is called No Myth. And I I think the first time I saw it was was probably the the video on, on the MTV, and and I was like, oh shit, this is a good song. And um, and I remember uh, Larry, our, mine and Michael's friend Larry, who started the band. Um, him and I at the time, he probably doesn't even remember this, but him and I at the time were were would would often we we both had an appreciation for for listening to things that we just appreciated for for what they were as good songs. We listen we we were listening to a lot of Motown. At the time, we were listening to a lot of early hip hop, and um, and we were both kind of in this mode that we didn't really listen to. Uh, we didn't listen to a lot of stuff by our, our contemporaries, but by, by by this time, you know, like we weren't listening to Sisters all the time. We weren't listening to fucking Bauhaus all the time. Um, we were just kind of looking for things that 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 resonated with us and, and, and we could draw from for inspiration. And I think that was like the earliest example for me of like, of uh, artistically, uh, by this time I was actually starting to write songs and I was like learning how to write songs. And um, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a good thing for me to, to have this other person who was, who was um, exploring other stuff the same way and just, just kind of just appreciating something for what it is. Uh, and that was one of the first times that that kind of happened to me was like, I don't, I don't, I probably, I'm probably too cool to like this song, but I like it anyway. And that's the thing that, that stuck out with me. Um, so, so my, Michael Penn had the song, No Myth. And, and every time I heard it, uh, I thought it was great. I think I even went so far as to, to get the album, would listen to it sometimes when we were setting up and would get would get side eye and stink eye from people like what 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 the fuck is this what are you listening I was like Michael Penn and this is good it's good I'm sorry it's good Larry would do the same thing like people Larry would get crap about it and like they were like it's a good and we would both be like this is this is a good song this is good music just fucking listen to it 
Um, uh, yeah, and I just thought it was really good. It was like, you know, right on the eve of the, the, the whole singer-songwriter explosion that was happening in L.A. You know, he was, yeah, before Mr. Amy Mann. So Amy Mann was just, just beginning to blow up. The Friday Night Music Club came a little bit later. Uh, and that, that that whole thing was happening. It, 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 and it sort of felt like it began with, with No Myth. Like No Myth was like the first song that kind of popped through from that scene in L.A. anyway. And I just loved that song. I thought it was so great. And it was it was so simple. Like I, I, I could... I could listen to it and actually and, and figured out the chords without without even picking up a guitar. It was like it, it was just beautiful and simple that way. And and the the the, the Chamberlain work that um, oh god, what's that name, guy's name on it? Patrick something from a missing persons. He worked okay. with this guy Patrick Warren uh, on that album, and and Patrick Warren I think has had at that point had had worked with a whole bunch of other people. Yeah, wasn't and he missing? He, <coughs> Maybe wasn't that the guy? I don't know. No, you're thinking of Patrick O'Hearn. Uh, he oh, okay. he was the keyboard player for Missing Persons, and he did a bunch of ambient uh, or kind of new age music on the private music label. Okay, uh, Patrick know. Warren uh, did a bunch of stuff on Magnolia, Fifty Shades of Grey, Boogie Nights, Red State, True Detective. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was like a multi instrumentalist dude. Who I think it worked with other with people. Penn. Or records. He's also played with Rod Stewart, yeah. Roseanne Cash, Bonnie Raitt. There it is. Yeah. Uh, Leanne Rimes, Rob Thomas, Avril Lavigne, Tracy Chapman, Joe Cocker, Neil Diamond, Macy Gray, Melissa Etheridge, Fiona Apple. Uh, the list goes on. Yeah. So he's one of those guys that quietly was like involved in a lot of stuff, and and he had a Chamberlain, and he used he used the Chamberlain extent uh, the Chamberlain, which is a you know an old instrument from from what like the sixties on you. It's it's there's the Chamberlain and the, there's the Mellotron. There they were these instruments that were introduced that in 1948. Early samplers. So the, cham- the Chamberlain right. is a very, very old instrument, and he he played it on um, on a Red Hot Chili Peppers record, even, and uh, on a Lucinda Williams record. Yeah, so that that was the, I think that was the first time I'd heard. Well, no, it wasn't the first time I heard a Chamberlain. It was the first time I saw somebody playing a Chamberlain because he he they they show it in the video. And I was like, "Oh shit, what's that?" And then, and then, like, it's pretty, pro- it's prominent enough in the song that um, I learned about what it was, and then figured out later that Bowie had used had had used one like on Diamond Dogs and, and some other stuff. But that was like the first time I'd heard that instrument and, and heard that instrument featured front and center, and thought, "Wow, that's really fucking cool." But I love that song. Yeah. There's a lot of that Chamberlain on. Uh that night watch album by Kenny Loggins you should check it out it's pretty cool there's a lot of it so it's pretty good (laughs) nicely done Michael if that's what's gonna get you into the world you're a bad man they all float down here D You like balloons, Steve? Yeah, right. Bad. You're a bad man, Michael. Very, very bad. See what I mean? Th- no, this is worthy of guilty pleasure. I, you know, I'm. I, I may have one is more it? in. Me. Yeah. So what? Totally. Do you, so what? Yeah. Take on no myth. What? What say you guys? I, I don't have any problem with Michael Penn at all. 
extraordinary songwriter. Amy as well. I, you know, I don't know what they've yeah. done together in terms of like, besides being married, if they've done records together, but like pretty amazing, both of them, you know? Yeah, he, he's one of these guys that like, I think kind of fell into a strange part in his career. He wasn't a pop artist and he wasn't a rock artist. He's like a singer songwriter. And he kind of had his moment at a time when people weren't really paying attention to that stuff anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, ha- had he been around very true 10 or 20 years earlier he would have been huge you know he's one of these guys who's like i don't know like jackson brown you know or something yeah yeah good analogy perfect you know what i mean and and especially when you look at music today like the closest thing you can get to is like ed sheeran maybe yeah i mean yeah and you're right like if you think about everything that was going on in 1989 he was very out of place yeah what he was doing And, and i think that was part of his frustration i mean he is a the other thing he could have done is he could have gone a little more country and done like a Lyle Lovett kind of a thing where it's like he's country adjacent or whatever, but he's too urban uh, and urbane and too smart for that. Right. Um, but the, yeah, the talented guy. Like it's funny because only in the context of being in like a goth industrial uh, milieu could you look at Michael Penn and be ashamed of liking that because any, right. any musician yes. who who looks at his stuff is going to be like, this guy's the real deal. He writes great songs. They're interesting. They're well-constructed. It's just not cool. And uh, there's nothing that's like of the moment about it or genre-specific. Like I said, singer-songwriter stuff at a time when that's not popular anymore. I, I probably turned to, to a young Michael Haley who was playing bass in Rosy Lane at the time and said, you like the song, right? And he said, yeah. He probably just said, yeah, sure. It's good. Yeah, I like so much shit that you're not supposed to like. And uh, and still do, you know. It, it's just fun to talk about it now and watch D kind of squirm over there, uh, as we as we do. But you know, that's the fun of the podcast. That's the fun. That's the fun of it, huh? That's the fun. I am I'm, I'm with Anna. This was a welcome change from the last one. This is good. I was ready. I had a whole thing on politics. I thought we could cover, but maybe for another episode. I'm kidding. No politics on this show. Um, okay, well, I got two more. We got 20 more minutes. Do you want to go next? I, you I got, got something one else? More. Go. I, I, got, I got a couple, but they're short. Go. There isn't much in the way of music I feel bad for consuming. I might be able to talk about how terrible or not great Let's Go All the Way and Teenage Dream are, but I never regret listening to them. However... Combos stuffed snacks are something I regret every time I encounter them. Like Let's Go All the Way, combos were created in the mid-1980s. And like Teenage Dream, combos were created by a corporation, in this case Mars, for the purposes of satiating the desires of young people. I love snacks. I could probably live the rest of my life happy living on snacks alone, with the caveat that my lifespan would probably be significantly shortened by doing that. Combos are pretzels or crackers filled with some sort of substance, usually some sort of flavored cheese. At least that's what it looks like. They're totally synthetic. I'm pretty sure that plutonium and various industrial slurries are involved. Also, an ungodly amount of sodium. When I eat them, I can feel my face puffing up. Of all the snacks I love, none seem more like dog treats than combos, except nobody would treat their dogs this badly. I'm fortunate that most of the stores I visit or shop at do not carry combos or else I would be 10 pounds heavier at least. 
but combos are often found at airport snack shops, and after a long work trip, they can be hard to resist. And once the crinkly bag is open, well, I'm going to finish them. But the regret is instantaneous and lasts long after the sodium bloating has passed. I love combos, but I hate that I love them. I absolutely should not have them. You hate yourself for loving them. Absolutely. Now, that, that is really like the signature of this episode, I think. You know, I, I totally, I, I, uh, uh, I second that emotion. You know, especially around food and stuff. I mean, we did an episode around, you know, uh, health and food and whatnot. And I I totally get that. You know, it's one of those things. You you mentioned something that really kind of made my my sort of uh, the guilt and shame sort of like spike, which was like the bag. Can you not, how do you not finish a bag that you open of fucking anything? Even small bags, it's like, all right, I could wrestle that. You know, maybe that's two servings and the bag is like this big. I'm like, where? who are these people measuring this shit? And like, you know, I guess the FDA has to kind of go, you need to put something on it. But uh, I totally relate to that. I don't know how to stop a bag. That would be a guilty pleasure. You know, I try not to buy too many crunchy things in bags, especially salty. Man, my feet. If I eat stuff like that, too much sodium, my feet feel like they fill up with sand, like hot sand. And I'm like, ooh, oh, that can't be I just good. Ate, I just ate something I'm probably not supposed to eat. My doctor likes me, and he's like, you're doing great. And I'm like, okay, you're the boss, but I don't eat it that often. But that's how my, my system reacts to salty stuff like that. And I'm just like, wow, all right. It's in my own little yeah. meter. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, it's sort of the definitive guilty pleasure because it is one of these things. It's like there is some momentary pleasure, but goddamn, do I feel guilty about it? And I definitely, <laughs> I can't believe we've been talking about it on the podcast. It's like I definitely don't want people to know that I have been eating combos. And and uh, yeah, there you go. Delicious, delicious guilt. I'll do I'll do one quick one, and then I'm going to call it a day. I this I'm just going to leave D with this one. There was a band called Raven. I don't know if they're around anymore. They put out a record in 1981 called Rock Till You Drop. All bands. I heard this record, and I can't remember how I heard it, but it was like full-on metal, three-piece, and they do a cover uh, medley of um, Hellraiser and Action by The Suite. And... He hits some of the highest notes of any metal guy I've ever heard. And it's recorded. It sounds like mostly live. Maybe there's some guitar solo overdubs. It's a guilty pleasure, metal, guilty pleasure, rock till you drop, Raven. Well, if they covered action, you're, you're not going to get any argument from me. I, I would listen to that. That's, that's my favorite a sweet song. My well, most favorite sweet song. Hellraiser. It's, a, it's a medley, and, it, and it's a beautiful sort of segue into the other song. In, anyway. I don't know. What's, what's Hellraiser? Who did Hellraiser? The Sweet. Hellraiser, Stargazer. Get your I don't think I've ever heard it. Yeah, I probably heard yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah, you'll okay. know. I didn't know. You'll know it. I'm going to send a link to you, and we'll, we'll provide it for everyone out there to feel what I feel when I listen to it. That record is, first of all, <laughs> The record is bonkers. You hear it and you're just like, I can't believe these guys are actually, and they're serious, deadly fucking serious. The drummer wears 
a hockey helmet with the mask. And he plays this, like, kit that's, like, the size of a fucking small apartment. It's just amazing. And he hits every fucking cymbal and drum perfectly all the way through it. And it's mostly live. And I'm just like, wow. I never got to see him live. I saw a lot of metal live back way back when. But that would be another guilty pleasure for me is, like, that one. Put it on and people start going, like, Michael, can you turn that down a notch? And I'm like, sure, I can turn that up five more notches. Because it feels so good. It's so it's like that bag you just described, on you. I just like all of it. And with that, I will pass it on to the it's next. Like, it's like a plate of sizzle pie on a Saturday afternoon. It's beyond. I'm surprised they don't play that record in every sizzle pie. If they haven't oh, I'm heard, sure they it, have. They probably haven't I, heard it. It's kind of a, that's totally the kind of stuff they'll play at sizzle pie. Yeah, sure. it's an obscure record. So you know, if I I've never heard anyone else play it. Except for a few friends, so. And I call them friends. Yeah, Anu found found the link before I did. It's on YouTube. Found it on YouTube, yeah. so it'll, it'll be in the episode description. Wow. Yeah, yeah okay. they're, they're, the real, they're the real deal. It's ridiculous. I mean, it is embarrassing and amazing that they can do the shit that they do. And with that, wow. on to D. Last guilty pleasure. Um, I got one more. So... Um, around 1981, I was, uh, uh, um, I, I had, I had a bit of a mitzvah in, in the form of my friend Andrew Moore, uh, moving from Newport beach to Irvine and he started going to my high school and Andrew Moore at the time was, was, um, he he wouldn't say it. He he doesn't think he is. But at the time, he was uh, he had been playing in in, uh, in an early Orange County punk rock band called the Rayons, um, and um, that were pretty well known. And he had actually he was the first guy I've talked I've talked about Andrew pro- probably before a few times. He was the first guy I met that was really in that had had kind of moved on. That was like okay, well the punk rock thing was cool, but here's some other stuff. That that I really like that that ended up being a lot of the stuff that formed the, the foundation of post punk. Like he was the first guy I knew that 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 uh, was a huge Throbbing Gristle fan, and, and I learned all about Throbbing Gristle through him. Um, Chris and Cozy, like that stuff. Uh, you know, just all the stuff for, from that period of time. Cabaret Voltaire, like he was in all that shit. Um, and public image like he was a huge Keith Levine fan he was the first guy I knew that that actually was like would nerd out for hours about public image and Keith and and, um, the stuff they've done Um, and um, I got to I ended up getting to play drums in a a band with him and his girlfriend Brooke Uh, it was the first band I I played drums and I was talking about this a little bit uh, in a recent episode, the, the the way I ended up playing drums was I was playing bass in a punk rock band that was sharing the same rehearsal space uh, with him. With with uh, no, he was playing in the he was playing guitar in the in the punk band I was in. And then his girlfriend came around one time after when we finished rehearsing, and we were just messing around. And I would, you know, do what kids do in those days, playing a punk rock band. So we would go what's this instrument like and and um would play my friend tony's drum kit it would just just kind of bang on it 
And um, he started playing something one day, and I and I sat down at the drum kit and just did something. He goes, "Oh, that's really good. You should play drums with us." I said, "No, you don't. I don't. I'm not a drummer. Don't. I can't. I can't do this." I said, no, no. He was like, "No, you could do it." And I've been thinking about doing this new thing um, with with my girlfriend and and the guy that played bass in the Rayons. Uh, and would you be down to do it? And I was like, okay. And that was the first band I played drums in. And it was it was very um, very post punk disco um, style public image type stuff. Um, and at the time, you know, there was nothing. We were we were heavily into second edition. That second edition slash metal box album. That 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 album had just come out, and we were playing the shit out of it. And you know, there's a real heavy disco vibe throughout that album. And from there, um, you know, there was really nothing like it at the time. At least nothing that, that we knew about as kids. So we started, like, listening. We, we'd, I think Andrew said that he heard in an interview with Ja Wobble and, and John Lydon that they were heavily into disco. That they, listen, they legitimately, like, re- listened to a lot of real disco, and they loved it. So... Um, those guys being our heroes, we thought, well, we'll listen to real disco too. And um, we all figured out that we really like Cool in the Gang. Like, we fucking love Cool in the Gang. And, and, and we figured out that uh, groove-wise, there, there's, you, you, can, you, can, you can hear the connective tissue for, uh, from bands like Cool in the Gang, between Cool in the Gang and um, uh, Public Image. Um, or any of the other sort of disco influence bands that came later. Um, so uh, my song, the song that we all liked, that we knew we weren't supposed to like, that we didn't really admit to liking with other people, is "Celebrate Celebration" by Cool and the Gang. Love that, still oh, yeah. love that song. Get down on it. Another good song, "Ladies Night." We were. It was all stuff that was playing on AM radio all the time. Um, so, "Ladies' Night" was another another song. Like a fucking, I just love the groove of the song. Um, "Roller Coaster," get down on it. But "Celebration" was was a song that we would we would often talk about quite a bit that we all liked. So that's my last one. Disco is one of those ones, you know, where like I really like a lot of those songs, and it was also part of the culture too on television, radio, and it was just like you you know. Ladies' Night and all that stuff. I'm just like, how do you hate that? You know, I don't even think right. punk rockers really did that stuff. They're just, they were just benign neglect. They're just like, that's not ours. This is ours. We're busy fighting for justice. You know, and uh, the disco stuff. They were just trying to have a good time, get it on, meet some nice lover. You know, so what's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing to feel guilty about ever. Right, you know, I feel like the thing that 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 one of the things that set Cool and Gang apart. Brothers Johnson is another band that comes to mind that that kind of fell into this category. They were legitimately a band that played these songs, that wrote these songs. They were not yeah. like an overproduced, you know, track each drum separately, super super crazy forty eight track, you know, linking two twenty four tracks together massive disco song like they were just dudes they were just dudes that played in a band together that happened to like uh commodores is another band that comes to mind you know 
that just played that just happened to write really good fucking disco you know so that I, I feel like that kind of set them apart from a lot of the stuff that was going on at the time yeah I, I have no problem with that D I, I wish I really wanted to razz you about something but we're brothers that's all there is to it oh we, I'm dude when I in 1981 we could not admit to liking cool in the gang it was it could not have been and yet it was on the radio nonstop, and how could you not like it? I mean, you right. look at those big hits that they have, Celebration, Get Down On It, Joanna, like, those things were awesome. I mean, they're great, great songs, and the only thing right? that would, Jungle Boogie, you know, another one. Jungle uh, Boogie, that, yes. That, the only Deadly thing that would groove. keep you from Fucking not Jungle Boogie, it, man. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, it just straight up... Uh, basically like well it's, it's vaguely disco and it's not alright and you know if you're a punk new wave kid you're not supposed to like that stuff yet yep yeah well we like it we're old enough now where it just there's no you can't really get much flack I mean you know I got a little bit from D but I, I knew it was coming I asked for it I just sent it's you always, a little link so it's always coming from a place of love you know that I sent you a link to that uh, that sweet medley from uh, Raven too. Y'all can check it out later. Sweet. <laughs> oh, we, we I think we found it, Michael. We we've got the Anu actually found it. the YouTube link. Yeah, he's got I it. I just wanted to make sure you had it on your phone so you could listen to it as much <laughs> as you want. No, I want to. I want to hear it. He, I actually want to hear a, it. a copy of the vinyl you know record. Sweet. Wait to you right now, D. Oh boy. It looks like they remastered it in 2012, but not with me. You know, I would have been the perfect guy for it, but they didn't. Well, know it's them. it's ten years later. It's probably due for another squishing and boosting by three luffs or whatever. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh Lord, loudness. That, that, that reminds me, like around that time, Michael, there was there was a there was an album Rick Rubin did on American Recordings that we played the shit out of in the X Photo House. That that sort of falls into that same kind of like weird obscure metal category I shouldn't like but but I like anyway that that album that he did with Trouble oh shit it was so fucking good I and I didn't even good. know who Trouble was and Larry was one like oh yeah this was like this, these guys were like kind of fucking cool in the 70s and, and Rick Rubin found them and, and did, a, did an album with them yeah that album was so good they were like this band right? they were kind of like if uh if Black Sabbath had grown up in New Orleans and was just like undiscovered, but just touring like the South Circuit, they're amazing. I, I heard some crazy stories about them through when I played that tour with um, Tommy and Michael, because I guess both those guys knew them really well and they played some shows oh, really? together, which is kind of a, you know, a, a weird but perfect fit. Uh, but they told me some stories that I'm like, stuff I'm not even sure about and I'm not going to repeat but I love that band you know and there was another band too a kind of a southern rock uh, southern metal like uh, it's like pre-doom stuff it's not quite doom it's very like you know anyway yeah fucking I forgot about that record Trouble so good really good I haven't I haven't heard it in years but I just remember it. we just played the shit out of it all the fucking time we loved it and yeah, your description of it is pretty much what it is. It's like pre-Doom, right? Yeah, it's like you know, Sabbath with like a, a southern rock 
spin on it and you're just like what and you listen to it and you're like wow we have fantastic guitar work like slide weird totally boogie, yes like death boogie music it was just really fantastic yeah it was good it's really good anyway dark and scary and it, just like me that's all I got from my guilty pleasure. I, I could probably dig the hole a little deeper if I move the rug, but the Raven is kind of a, a good topper for me. Old metalhead shame. That's that's a good one. Anyway, what oh. else we got? Anything else? Or are we we pulling cards? I know. Could we should, could we maybe should probably do another, pull a card. We should pull a card. Yeah, we're a time. We should pull a card. Okay. Our our guilty pleasure. Before we do that, though, Anu, where where can everybody find us? You can find us at musicmindfulnessmadness.com. And it's worth noting that today... Uh, we are sponsored by Instacart. Instacart. Get energy drinks, iced coffee, and more. Convenience store drinks in as fast as 30 minutes, plus free delivery on your first order. Minimum $10 requirement. Terms apply. And you can get there at www.musicmindfulnessmadness.com slash Instacart. Oh, All man, right. I love it. And we can afford All our next... right. Our next Ferrari payment... Yes. On that note, yeah, I so hopefully that'll that'll help shore up uh, your your um, your this requirement of, of being an LA resident and, and having a podcast. This this podcast legitimizes you. Yeah, podcast and Ferrari. Ferrari. We'll do. Yeah. I passed a Ferrari yeah. today uh, going down. I rode my motorcycle early this morning, and I passed this amazing, beautiful Italian creation. Wait, we didn't race though. He would have completely won. So. Yeah, I don't like. Oh, well. I don't like to race unless I know I'm going to win. <laughs> My grandma taught me that she doesn't make any bets unless she knows it's 100 percent she's going to win. So were you on the Bonnie? Yeah, yeah. I just got out for an early scoot down Ventura Boulevard. I was nice. you know free falling, just like uh, they say, free falling. Is that song a guilty pleasure? Perhaps. You know, Tom Petty. Tom Petty was some no. Tom Petty was something that came up, and I had to ask myself, "Is it?" I don't. I don't think it is. No. I don't. I mean, no. He's universally beloved, and everybody agrees he's a good he songwriter, is, right? and he's got he's got credibility and things like that. So, yeah, he's yeah I've been listening to that Wildflowers album a lot lately. You know that that twenty twentieth anniversary thing came out, and been playing the shit out of that. I like it. Ready. Anyway, ready? Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. Boom. <laughs> Anu's is uh, courage. Well, who was who was the uh, who was the anchor, the news anchor that that would close by that saying was Dan courage. Rather? That you're Dan, Dan Rather. Rather. That's what that made me think of. It just I just saw Uh-oh. Dan Rather going courage. And then, and then they I close love that. Michael's is towards the insignificant. That's me. Which is, which is, which is Raven and his sweet medley. 
And D has the most appropriate of all, particularly for him today, which is oh, yeah. be less critical more often. Yeah, <laughs> that's that was probably a necessary card for me to pull. That's for sure. Woo! All right, guys. Well, this is fun. You could buy D. We got it. We need to do this more. You could for buy sure. a, a hug for D on Instacart and send it to him, so he gets some more hugs. Yes. And sizzle pies. Just, just hugs, no drugs, kids. Yeah, man. Hugs, hugs not drugs. Way too expensive. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. All right. Until next week. Yar. Keep coming back. Smash that subscribe button, yo. And Audi 5000. Until next week. See y'all later.